This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. Selena, won't you swing my way? Nope. You look like a Negro Waldo. <laughs> I look like a what? A Negro Waldo because you had the stripes on. Oh, it reminds God. me of that the other Dave Chappelle skit where he's like in the car with his white friend. And oh. his white friend's like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yo, oh, Dave yeah. Chappelle, when I tell you, like his jokes and skits have been resonating so much in the oh, last two years. Guys. Like that white woman, that's a Dave Chappelle skit. Yeah. yeah. yeah that Chappelle's one and so. the Chris Rock skit where he gets like right after Columbine where he gets in the elevator with the two white guys yeah. and he's like I'm getting out of this elevator white young my white men are the scariest well, people even, I feel like that all the time on SNL right in the 80s there was I think it was like an Eddie Murphy sketch where he did white like me instead of black like me oh, where yes. he like went into a store oh, God, and he goes that. to pay for a newspaper and the guy's like no just take it just, <laughs> just take it and he's like what <laughs> hilarious amazing. when the black people got off the bus they had a nice like champagne party in there with yeah. the white. <laughs> hilarious well we're making a lot of jokes here guys this is we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. Uh, we're making jokes, but it's time to get serious. I know a lot of people this week have been uh, heart-wrenched about what happened in Charleston. Uh, more revelations have came about uh, about the, the 21-year-old white man named Dylan Roof who opened fire at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church while the churchgoers were praying. So uh, among the nine people that were killed, was the church pastor who was state senator Clementa um, Plinicky, Plinicky, and only three people survived. Um, apparently, Dylan Roof, he showed a number of signs that he wanted to commit this racially charged attack before it happened. Mm. So his friend came out, Joey Meek, saying, so, so Roof, this is what Joey Meek said, his friend. He's saying that Dylan normally kept to himself, but one night he got really drunk off some vodka, and he did talk about an unspecified six-month plan to, and I quote, do something crazy. He also talked about returning to a system of segregation and the intention to, and I quote, start a race war. Another friend, oh no, no, let me let me continue on what this uh, the friend said. Uh, he also said blacks were taking over the world and that, and I quote, someone needed to do something about it for the white race. So he was basically saying, you guys talk about it. Uh, you guys troll about it on social media and you leave comments, but I'm going to actually do something about it. I'm going to put this rhetoric into action. And then, and, uh, and a friend said that, Dylan said he wanted it to be white with white and then black with black. So then the friend says, you know, I didn't really take him seriously. Like, I know he had a gun and I know he was racist and made racial jokes. But, hey, it was all fun and games at the time. And I kind of thought, like, if you're laughing at those racist jokes, mm, you're probably how racist are you? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, the thing is, I couldn't laugh at a race. I mean, obviously, I'm a black woman and I'll be like, oh, God. Does he have a hood on? Like, you know, I couldn't I couldn't really take to that. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, so then another friend came out and said that, you know, Dylan Roof, he was kind of wild. And I'll admit, too, I never took him really seriously. So um, after all of these revelations came out, just telling about the character of this person and, and who he was, I also wanted to mention that NBC News reported that Roof told an investigator he almost didn't go through with the massacre because everyone was being so nice to him and that's a quote but then he was like no I'm going to go through on this mission um, he's currently in, on on bail he's uh, being held on a one million dollar bail that's only on the gun charge there's no bail on the murder charges which means he's remanded he's not going to get out right so 
well, we should be safe from Dylan for the time being. So basically, we know that he had that this murderer had a history of drug use, also um, a history of racist comments. Um, he had a, a criminal record, even though he was only 21, and he also used to wear a number of paraphernalia. Yeah, that he had like showed. a Rhodesian flag on his, which yep. I heard someone refer to on the radio as yeah. like hipster racism. Like oh. that is so. Like in, I never like, heard that people well because he had these like flags it was um like pre-apartheid era South American flag and the Rhodesian flag, um Rhodesia which is now Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe but these are like white supremacist regimes that he had on his jacket so like you really have to know the history of white supremacy and racism to to really you know like someone was saying like that's like a deep cut like that he had those flags on his jacket. Right. And I just wanted to address something you mentioned during your opening about his drug use, because there's this so-called connection between pill use of like opiates and pills and gun violence. And it's absolutely not true. Like it's debunked. And I don't think we should even give him the benefit of the doubt to say like, oh, he may have done some drugs or had some drug problems because like when push comes to shove, this was about race. It's not it wasn't about whether he may have taken some drugs. And that's part of the issue we see in the media bias, which is whenever it's you know a black person who gets killed by the police like Mike Brown it's like well he was a thug and a criminal and he wasn't a child like look at those pictures of Trayvon he wasn't a child he was an adult like but then they're like oh Dylan Roof like he was a kid or you know, like, kid. he did drugs or like you know like exactly so like it's, there's friends. a way in which we talk about this where when it's a white person like we try and make all these excuses for them but then when black people do something then we like don't make it's not oh, no, it's, the same he excuses. was an animal right he was exactly. an animal that, so, that's all we hear like that's the race bias within the media as well which comes in so i just i want him to put it out there like drugs did not make dylan roof do this no, racism ra- did thank you Alyssa. and on that note we're going to actually introduce a very special guest we have on the line with us chad williams he's the associate professor of African and Afro-American studies at, at Brandeis University. Brandeis University. We have him on the line. Good afternoon, Professor. Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we've sort of um, got the conversation started about Charleston. This brings up a range of issues, but I wanted to start with you by asking, why are so many politicians and, and members of the media, particularly like Fox News, why are they so apprehensive to calling the mass shooting and this act of terrorism what it was, racist and domestic terrorism? We just spoke about media bias. What, what is your take on that? Well, I think that's a really good observation, and it speaks to the fact that we, I think as a country, have never fully dealt with the history of uh, racist uh, white terrorism uh, inflicted against uh, African Americans. I mean, there's a long history of this, uh, really going back to the Reconstruction era after the Civil War um, of African Americans uh, in their desires for for freedom as well as autonomy and self-determination being targeted uh, by white uh, racist vigilante and terrorist uh, organizations uh, like the Ku Klux Klan uh, and uh, other groups. Um, and that's a part of our history that we have never uh, fully dealt with. Uh, I think it also speaks to the very narrow way that we think about terrorism uh, today uh, and how uh, the victims of, uh, of terrorism uh, kind of achieve this very kind of privileged, exalted uh, status. Uh, but when acts of uh, violence, which are clearly meant to terrorize not just individuals, but entire uh, communities, uh, when that happens to communities uh, of color, and especially African Americans, uh, we don't look at it uh, in the same light. Uh, so I think it speaks to uh, a lack of historical uh, awareness, uh, but also, quite frankly, a lack of courage uh, on the part 
uh, of the media uh, and politicians uh, to look at the facts and to, to face what happened for what it uh, truly is. Yeah, absolutely right, Professor. It's like they don't want to admit that this is racism because to admit that would mean that we have not moved into a post-racial society and that racism does exist and that these issues of the past have spilled over into the future, I mean, into the present, and they just manifest themselves in different ways. Another thing that I wanted to ask you is, why is it that whenever white men behave badly, it's mental illness, it's... Let me give you a perfect example. One day after... Dylan Roof shot up the church in Charleston, this older white man went to a a black church in Virginia and called them the N-word and said, I'm going to kill you ends. You know what they did? After they restrained him, they took him to a mental hospital. Okay? The black people in the church were terrified. There's video of them like, lock the doors, lock the doors. This white man is crazy. He might have a mask. He might have a hood. And they took him to a mental hospital. I'm like, black people don't get that right, leverage. But when, a, when a black guy runs away from a cop holding a cell phone, let's shoot him in the back. Yeah, Professor, right. can you tell me? So in? perverted. Yeah, well, I, I think it's there's a number of things that happen here. One is uh, the fact that many people, uh, when thinking about racism and and white supremacy. Um, don't see it as as logical. Uh, it's oftentimes you know, construed as this uh, remnant of the past. Uh, and as we know, it's uh, very real, but white supremacy has uh, a very particular logic to it. Um, and uh, it has always been uh, rooted uh, in uh, very specific uh, ideas, uh, in very specific uh, institutions, uh, and manifested uh, in ways uh, that are extremely uh, deliberate. Uh, so um, I think we, we, we tend to, uh, to, to not acknowledge that. Uh, and then uh, when we do uh, have very clear acts of, of racism, even in their most horrific forms as what happened uh, in Charleston, uh, we somehow uh, see it as, um, as, as illogical or uh, a figment of, of someone's uh, insanity. Um, the fact is that, that Dylan Roth, I mean, if you look through uh, and uh, hear what he uh, wrote in his uh, so-called manifesto. Um, he is very clear uh, about his actions, um, and he is uh, very clearly a, a product of um, of history uh, and his uh, environment as well. Uh, I also think that it it speaks to a, a certain lack of. Um, of innocence uh, that is uh, given to, mm. to African Americans, uh, but is automatically afforded uh, to uh, to white criminals. Uh, whereas, as you're saying, uh, African Americans are uh, oftentimes naturally seen uh, as uh, aggressive, um, animalistic, um, all these other very um, dangerous uh, tropes. That's very true, Professor. Not even African-American children have the leverage to just be children, mm-hmm. but they are body slammed and then pulled and then um, white cops pull guns on them, as we've seen in McKinney um, in Texas at that pool party. Right. And I mean, I want to ask. So, um, you know, this church in particular, right, has a has a history of, um, you know, branching off from white supremacy and uh, being a place for people of color to congregate and, you know, worship free from white supremacy. Um, and so do, do you think, I mean, presumably he knew that, right? That he knew, Roof knew sure, the history absolutely. of this church and that's why it was targeted. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the history of 
uh, Emanuel AME uh, Church is very significant. Uh, it's a pillar of the black community uh, in Charleston. Uh, has a long history going back to the antebellum period, uh, established um, as uh, a, a sanctuary uh, for black spirituality, uh, for aspirations uh, for freedom, but also for black resistance uh, as well. Uh, one of the founding uh, members was uh, Denmark Vesey, uh, who led a slave uh, revolt. Uh, the church was subsequently burned uh, to the ground. Uh, so uh, when we tend to think of, uh, of, of Emanuel AME and just the black church as an institution, uh, it's uh, a symbol uh, of hope, um, of uh, black yearnings uh, for, for spiritual uh, sustenance, uh, but also for resistance uh, and uh, political empowerment uh, as well. Uh, so the uh, fact that he targeted uh, this uh, particular uh, church uh, carries not just symbolic uh, significance, but real political uh, significance as well. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, it's just it bothers me because I feel like there's a, a, a way in which. Well, first, actually, you know, before I get to that, you brought something up before about the way that um, black people are looked at and those different tropes and the way they're spoke about. And I think that really plays into what happened at AME because he is quoted as allegedly saying to the woman he left alive, you rape our you know, you, your men rape our women. And so there's that that trope of black men rape women thing that's going on, which played into the racism. Yeah, he shot mostly um, women. And he sh- yet he shot mostly the women. But, you know, then you heard the, the different media talking about this. I know we brought up some of it. I mean, like Fox News apparently did this whole thing about how it didn't have anything to do with the fact that they were black. It was all about pro- persecution of Christians. Oh. And then you have people, different media outlets that are reluctant to call it terrorism, which leads you to believe that, you know, only Muslims could. And I obviously don't agree with that, but. It gives the inference that only Muslims can be terrorists, not white men. And then all those other tropes about mental illness or, you know, this, that and the third. I mean, what is wrong with our media or is or I mean, I know that's a pretty broad question. What is wrong with our media or better question is what is wrong with our society? Because I think the media is a broader just, question. Uh, yeah, the, me- the media is just a sliver of, of really society. And so is is it a media issue or is it a societal issue? Sure, I think it's both. I mean, I think. We certainly need to hold uh, the media accountable uh, for uh, accurately reporting the news, uh, but also being informed. Uh, just throughout uh, the past uh, days of uh, the aftermath of, of this uh, horrific uh, massacre, um, I've been struck by just the lack of, of historical knowledge uh, about uh, African American history, specifically the history of black people uh, in Charleston, uh, the legacies that you are referring to, again, going back to, to Reconstruction, uh, lynching, uh, just the, the whole uh, history of uh, racial violence against black people uh, in the South, the history of targeting uh, African American uh, churches. Um, this is crucial to, to understanding uh, what happened uh, in Charleston uh, and to uh, presenting uh, an accurate uh, reporting uh, of uh, of events, uh, so I think we need to uh, to hold uh, the media um, accountable, um, you know, for for being informed, uh, for for doing the the hard work uh, of actually uh, learning uh, about.
about uh, the legacies as well as the uh, contemporary realities of, of what took place. Um, and this uh, extends uh, beyond the, the, the media to the American public uh, more broadly. Uh, I, mean, I think there is a, a willful ignorance uh, about the history uh, of race and white supremacy uh, in this country. Uh, and the fact is there's simply no excuse. Uh, you know, there is so much uh, work, uh, you know, wonderful scholarship that's been produced uh, exploring all different aspects of the black experience and the, the legacies of race uh, in this country. Um, as I see it, uh, when it comes to the uh, knowledge uh, about uh, racism uh, in this country, the only type of ignorance that exists is willful uh, ignorance. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, thank you so much, Professor. Again, we had on the line with us Chad Williams. He is the Associate Professor of African and Afro-American Studies at Brandeis University. We definitely appreciate you giving us more, more background and substance behind what is going on, the history of, target, of targeting black churches, and, and just how this shooting, it, it was not an isolated incident. Um, professor, is there any way that um, our listeners could contact you, maybe follow you on Twitter? Absolutely. Well, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dr. Chad Williams. Also, we've established a, a hashtag, Charleston uh, Syllabus, uh, which is a wonderful resource uh, for uh, books uh, and other uh, texts about, as I said, African American history, about uh, Charleston specifically. Uh, so I certainly uh, encourage folks to take advantage of that. Great. Definitely. And we definitely will, guys. So we are going to say uh, bye to Professor Williams now, but we will continue the conversation and we'll start taking those calls. If you want to chime in on the Charleston shooting massacre, the number is 212-650-6903. When we come back, we'll also be talking about the Confederate flag Mm. and that controversy. So stay tuned to Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. The Voice of Harlem. And if you guys are following us on Twitter, Be Heard underscore radio, you've seen Destiny, Selfie, and Stanley. (laughs) Destiny is in the studio with us. Just, you know, just heads up, guys. She's in the (laughs) studio with us. That's my little sister. Um, So we have, um, we just came back from a break from, and we're having this very important conversation about not just the Charleston shooting itself, but the long history of racism and targeting of black churches um, that this brings up. I mean, this is a conversation that has has um, been going on nationally. It's, it sparked a lot of interest into, you know, the Confederate flag and, and racism mm. and and living in what it means what it means to live in America today as a black person. It seems like we have no safe haven. Yeah. Um, but on that note, I know we have some callers on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. We're gonna go to Marlon first. Okay. So Marlon, let your voice be heard. Hi everybody, I let your voice be heard. Hey, hey how's it going? Good morning. Well. The first thing I'd like to say that it's ridiculous that when you're black and you're in America and you're black in America, that there seems to be like no, there's kind of pretty much nothing good about being black in America. Unless you're Richard Dolezal. (laughs) So let's see, at the age of 14, you could be slammed on the ground, 16, you can be shot. If you're on your honeymoon, you can be shot up again. Mm-hmm. 
And everybody says that, well, most likely deserved it. Don't forget I about think, Tamir Rice. He was 12. Oh, you're right. Oh, you can't play with fake guns either. No, you should know that. Like, you need to learn your lesson, Marlon. As a black man, you should be doing nothing but making rap songs and playing sports, and that's only if you're allowed to. So, oh, thank, man. thank you so much for calling in. Um, we also have Jazz on the line. Jazz, let your voice be heard. No, do we have Jazz on the line? Darrell. Hello. Oh, there Darrell, we are. Darrell, aka Jazz, Hello? let your voice be heard. Yeah, you're you're on the air. Hi, Darrell. Oh, yeah. So I like to like thank y'all for letting me come on here this morning. And um, I like to point out um, this mental health issue thing. White people, the only ones in the world that have mental health issues when they commit crime and do wrong, then ask black people to forgive them. Um, if that's the case, then how do you explain all the police shootings across the country where they just gun down black men? So are they mentally ill? And if they are, why are the states issuing these fools guns? Next point I'd like to make. Uh, for good research material, there's a book called 100 Years of Lynching by, I think it was Ralph Ginsburg, and it shows you actual newspaper clippings from 1865 to 1965 about the number of lynchings and the reasons why black men were lynched in America. You know, um, and it's astounding when you see the, the contrast of how they compare it today where all black men are criminals in this network. They had innocent brothers back then that were just walking down the street and a white person just said, yo, string them up. That was done. Um, another point is that um, every black man in the city should get the New York State Penal Code Law Book. This is the very book that they use when you commit a crime, and they go in and charge you with um, felony one under section this and that penal code. So if you're stopped by a police officer, then you can point into this book because a lot of times they come into our community and just arrest us for no reason because they know we don't understand the law. Now, all police have to, when they graduate from the academy, they have to uphold, or take an oath to uphold the Constitution of New York State and protect the citizens therein. So whenever a cop commits an uh, act that is contrary to this, he's no longer a police officer. In other words, he's impersonating a cop when he commits these mm. crimes and whatnot. We, we definitely agree with you there. Thank you so much for calling in and, and letting your voice be heard. Guys, if you're listening and you also want to call in, now's the time. The number is 212-650-6903. I definitely, you know, just to follow up to what our last caller was talking about, he's absolutely right when he's talked about the police officers and how just because they have this badge and this uniform, they commit acts of, of, of violence and, and hate crimes and just unjustifiable murders. But for centuries, for decades, we've been seeing them just uh, either get acquitted or not even taken to trial. Um, and it's only until now that we're finally seeing some action mm-hmm. and some something that looks like progress on this issue. Uh, but moving things right along. Wait, before you do, oh, actually, you know, I wanted to jump in on that point because I think that's what's bothering me the most about this whole thing is about how the police, you know, are treated this guy, Dylan roof versus how black people get treated. I know it's something we talked about when we were on the phone the other day, but you know, you look at situations where they wanted to apprehend uh, Eric Garner for allegedly selling cigarettes, notwithstanding the fact everybody who was there said that he was breaking up a fight, not selling cigarettes on that day in question, and yet they needed to tackle him, bring him to the down, and bring him down to the ground and choke him out, right? Uh, the guy, the other guy, which was also in Charleston, who was running away from the police because he owed money on the child support, gets shot in the back. All these other 
another whole host of people, you know, Tamir Rice, Akai Gurley, who's in the stairwell, um, and on and on and on and on and on, right, since Mike Brown. And yet Dylan Roof not only gets apprehended in a car where he has guns, they know he has guns, they don't shoot at him, we don't know if he, you know, surrenders right away or not. And then they have the audacity to walk him around in a bulletproof vest to protect his life yeah. uh, from other people who may go after him. So it's just crazy to me this this difference in the way, like as Selena pointed out, the way a 14-year-old girl is slammed to the ground in a bathing suit at a pool party ver- and the way this, this man who's a clearly a violent a terrorist murderer. thug gets treated. Well, I think one of the most troubling things of this entire like story has been for me was what happened, I think, yesterday when he was being arraigned and the Mm -hmm. judge said that we should have sympathy for him and his family. Mm. Oh, yeah, because they had sympathy for Mike Brown and sympathy for Eric Garner. I'm glad you brought that up, Stanley. So it was Judge James Gosnell, and he said, and I quote, we also have victims on the other side. He's speaking to the family members of the nine people that were shot. So he says, and I quote, we have victims on the other side. There are victims on this young man's side of the family. And I actually wanted to ask you guys Jackie's face is pure shock right now I'll ask you first Jackie do you think it was appropriate for the judge at this bond hearing to call Dylan Roop's family victims no and you know if you listen to the families of the victims speaking um at the arraignment I mean it was it was I'm not someone that gets moved very easily by things but I was like sitting there like with tears in my eyes listening to them saying we forgive you like that's what the family of these the families of these victims were saying because you know, they they were saying you took away this person that I loved, but we still forgive you. And for the judge to then say, oh, maybe you should recognize that there's victims on the other side. That is so uh, unfathomable to me. That's so inappropriate. Um, and just, you know, how could you say that? It's so unbelievably callous and wrong to no, say to someone. I totally agree with that. And, to, you know, that goes to the point where is, you know what? There may be some, I I mean, I think it was totally inappropriate to say at the hearing. And there may be some, uh, I don't want to use the word truth, but there may, so like. Validity. Validity to the fact that, for example, you know, this, his mother, you know, now he's going to go to, you know, assuming he gets convicted, which he probably will, and he, he may get the death penalty, and that, you know, his mother may no longer have a son. There may be some validity to that just on a factual level, but one, it never should have been said at the hearing. And two, I actually don't think there's any validity to that factually in some respects, because and I know this is going to be the segue to us switching gears. I think this racism was bred. I know they can say, oh, well, his family wasn't racist. Like, this didn't come from nowhere. Like, those pictures of him at a plantation, who took those? A family member? A friend? Somebody in his family had to have racial undertones that didn't stop this, that didn't say, hey, you know what? People should be treated equally. Nobody intervened in his life in order to say this isn't right. right. And so I don't see his family as victims. I don't feel bad for them. I feel bad for the people whose family members and friends went to church on a Wednesday night, just a typical Wednesday night, um, and didn't come home. That's who I feel bad for. So I I really got to give a lot of respect to the the Christian community and that church in particular for having the strength to forgive. And and I got to be one of the first people that say that, like, I— and I came out of my face and had judgment on people because they were praying for strength for Charleston or like praying or forgiving these people. They are the strongest people out there. Yeah. As for his family, I hope they're miserable and I can't wait for him to get the chair. Um, but we do have a call on the line hall to get to. Miss Deborah, Miss Deborah has some words for the world. Miss Deborah, let your voice be heard. Yes. You basically said what I was thinking, maybe not exactly. But I, before I say it, 
I feel really bad for these people, okay? I don't want you in any way to think otherwise. But when I heard how she forgave, first of all, I could feel the hurt and the, the pain through that woman. But when she said, I forgive you, I said, she has to be in shock. And there, there must be something in her that says, I have to forgive him or else I you can't survive. You understand what I mean? However, there is something about black people in this country. You better wise up and you better stop forgiving people within 24 hours. Because you see what the judge said. They didn't give a damn about whether or not they were suffering. He's going to tell you about the other side. You need to wake up and just keep quiet. Keep quiet and let your attorney speak for you. You know what, Miss Deborah? Uh, just a piggyback of what you're saying because I agree, but it just shows again, as we mentioned earlier when we had our special guest on, how it's so much easier for uh, people to sympathize with a white killer than a black man who may or may not have been selling loose, uh, uh, selling, selling untaxed cigarettes. Um, when it comes to that, so so thank you for that comment. And I just wanted to add on, you're right. And uh, so many times, Republicans and conservatives make. Christians look horrible, but when the Christian family stood up and said, I love you, if you repent for your sins, you'll be okay. Please come to heaven with us. I hope they're wrong like, about that. I like, hope he burned. There's like, a hell I hope like, he burned. Like, like when, when, when these God-fearing people came up and talked, I was just like, you know what? This is the essence of the black church that I know of. And especially as a Christian, it's about peace and love. And we have been dealing with this type of terrorism since the since this country was founded. But again, it speaks to the testimony that, you know what, it's we'll, we will survive. We will survive. And for, and for them to have that strength to forgive so quickly, it, it testifies to their faith and to who they are as people. Um, before we segue, Stanley. Yeah, no, I, Selena. Thank you for your strength and for the Christian community for that strength. I wish I was a better person. <laughs> I can't. I hope he gets put in general population, and I hope the worst things happen to him, and I hope that he suffers a lot. And if there's a hell, I hope he gets to go into the worst room possible, and he burns and he dies. Right, and even the pastor, someone said that the pastor who was shot would have, you know, knowing him, they said that he would have said, you know what, we all make mistakes, we're all wrong, and he would have forgiven him himself. So, I mean, let's just talk about the people that, I mean, sometimes, you know, it it makes us feel bad that these people were killed and shot dead. But the type of people that were shot dead, we need more people like that. Because they're the real Christians. They're the people who actually represent what the Christian faith represents, not the Rick Santorums of the world. He's a joke. He's a joke when it comes to that. Um, Speaking of that, I I know we want to segue and talk about this, the controversy over the Confederate flag, which to this hour stands on the South Carolina State House. Now, mind you, the church that was shot up, they're in a sermon right now. They're in church right now. And this flag is waving high, okay? We know that this flag symbolizes to many people in this country racism, division, and hate. Yeah. But somehow... Other people, South Carolinians, racists, or, or the just word you're looking for, just racist. No, but they, the let's just call it like they it say is. It's Southern let's, pride. We're gonna do what no. the regular media is unwilling to do, and we're gonna call it like it is. It's racist. It's racist. It is not about Southern pride, um, or maybe it's your racism being masked by Southern pride. But I'm sorry, it is so offensive and heinous. I mean, it is the equivalent as, you know, if I, as a Jew, were to go to my state capitol and see a swastika flying overhead. It is exactly the same. You know, as a Jew, if I see a swastika, it it invokes, like, this inherent fear and upset 
Repulsion. And repulsion in me. And I can imagine that as a person of color, seeing the Confederate flag does exactly the same thing. John Stewart made the most profound statement the day after the shooting. He said, you have people in South Carolina, the black people had to drive on streets named after Confederate soldiers, and the Confederate flag hangs up proudly while all other flags are down a half staff. Right. But it was this white guy who thought that his country was being taken away from him. And then there are people who... I don't like. I don't understand people's need to want to have a quote-unquote factual debate with you. So I posted something about the Confederate flag, and and it's so it's difficult for me because these are people who I like. I value as human beings and I care about. My friend was like, "Oh, well, technically that's not the Confederate flag. That's Nashville's flag." And I can't hate Nashville because they make whiskey. And what? Like, why was that? Why why was that relevant? Because we know they've been using this flag for this right here. And then someone else said, "Well, the the, the Civil War wasn't about slavery. The Civil War oh was God, absolutely about slavery." And this guy's a history teacher. <gasps> That's scary. See, Listen, the Civil War was about slavery. It was also it was about states' rights via slavery. Yes. Um, but it was still about slavery. And I mean, on top of that, they they argued that they couldn't physically take the flag down because or lower it because there was some mechanical issues. And I heard it there's was like regulations about burning. who can do, like take a knife and cut it off. You just, know, like it's it, you need to. I, I don't want to hear about the logistical reasons why you can't lower the flag. Just do it. it it's like this is so arbitrary. There's also debate over the role of the flag in this shooting. You have some people who were saying, "Think about it. If you know, if he if he walked by that state house or he felt some type of entitlement because he sees that flag, which in his mind represents uh, racism and and division and the inferiority of black people and white supremacy, and you're just validating all of his racist beliefs. What role did the flag play and then you have people on the opposite spectrum saying there's thousands of people that live in South Carolina and they didn't kill anybody just because the flag was there so should do we really need to take it down right I mean that goes back to the point that I was making earlier when we still had chat on the line where I asked like what's wrong with the media and then I said no like really the better question is what's wrong with society because that's where it comes into play is that you know they're like this racism is embedded societally in that the flag flies in the capital and that he was a person who is influenced by it there's no surprise that he took pictures and stanley just closed it on the computer but the, even the picture that we use today when we put up to promote this segment is him holding an uh, holding a confederate flag he had confederate flag license plates there's no surprise that he took pictures with confederate flags at plantations and for anybody to deny that there wasn't a societally based racism that went into play that he learned in school or Outside of school, from family members, from friends, from the Internet. I mean, that went into play. If he maybe lived somewhere else where the flag or racism wasn't so proper, you know, prominently bred into society, uh, then maybe he wouldn't have... Ha- you know, I, I, right. don't like, I, don't, I think you're trying to make the point that it's not pure coincidence that something that this heinous um, exactly. happened in a state which... The Confederate flag flies exactly. over its state capital. There's no surprise about that at all. And guys, if you want to call in, we are running out of time. So if you get on, make a statement quick. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. And, we, and Se- Senator Lizzie Graham, I think he's running for president. I'm not sure. That's so many Yes, candidates. he is. He said that, you know, he, he feels bad about what happened and... But the Confederate flag is a part of them mm. as people of South Carolina. A lot of candidates said this where yeah. they defended it. I think even Ted Cruz defended it and said, you yeah. know, I understand both sides. Like, no, there's no two sides here. You know, like there's racists and then there's everybody else that wants that flag taken a- down because of what it 
symbolizes, which is something pretty terrible. Yeah. A broken clock's always right twice a day, but, you know, I have to go that Mitt Romney actually has something right for for a half second. You know, Mitt Romney and Jeb Bush both came out and they were like, no, it's racist and it should come down. And I think even people on the right. But, you know, that's another conversation that we should have is that a lot of this racism was also bred through right wing politics and the right and and right wing media and some of the things that are said (laughs) on places like Fox News, on places like Rush Limbaugh, Breitbart. I mean, like there's also no surprise that this guy was an anti he identified with the anti-government movement. I don't want to say that he was a Tea Party person or that, you know, he was part of their group, but he was very anti-government. And that's something we've seen over and over and over again with anti-government sentiment and then shootings that happen specifically that are race-based. And these are people that watch Fox News, that listen to Rush. Like, there's no surprise there either. This this man felt like there was a war on white people, that white people were in danger. You know who helped defend those fires? Fox. Yes, not just Fox. Bill O'Reilly had a closing segment a couple of weeks ago that said that the last group that it's open season on that you can attack are white Men, Aww. white men. He had a Poor full, babies. like, closing statement talking about this Is and highlighting delusional? all the ways. He's out of his and- mind. And like what what like why this drives me so crazy is because as a black person, my life is lit- especially these last couple mm-hmm. of days. It's literally me being like angry to the point of wanting to become like aggressive, we'll say, because of all these issues. Trying to get it out by like just talking about it and writing about it, and then trying to debate with people why my life matters, why there's a problem, and you start to feel like you're going crazy. Yeah, right. And like as a you, like there's this, the, your entire like span as a black person. I remember being in college in classes where I was the only black person in the class, and I would straight up feel like I had to be the smartest and most outspoken. I had to work the hardest so they wouldn't think I wasn't there. If I was there because of some EOP or your black and poor scholarship. Right. Oh. Like this, the, the existence of being black itself is a problem. But we're not going around shooting up white churches. You know what, Stanley? That was a brilliant comment, and I think that you reflect a lot of the sentiment that that a lot of you know black people feel. I was taught that. Like, my mother to this day was like, you need to be better than your white colleagues because they think less of you. And that was ingrained in my head. Um, I also wanted to bring up the point of, um, before we we end this segment, how, okay, number one, mental illness cannot be used to attest here, right? Right. But you know what? If you want to say he was mentally ill, then you know what? Number one, he never should have got a gun. Right. 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 And number two, if he is mentally ill, because we do have people who are mentally ill in this country, why in the heck would we continue to spew racism and and, and, and use rhetoric that riles people up I'm and s- makes them feel threatened because some people can't di- uh, differentiate between the two and then they do want to go kill people like or, or shoot people like um, Gabby Giffords right. and stuff like that. You know well, what I'm saying? So there's a, like, a, a, a... Racism is not a mental illness. Okay? Oh, it's not. It's, it's not. not. It's a systemic problem in our country. And I want to say that this shooting, this this massacre was not a lot of things, right? It was not so, one individual, a lone wolf who was mentally ill who decided to just enter this church. Yes, he sat in the church for an hour and waited. This was unbelievably premeditated. Number two, this isn't just a guns debate, right? And certainly he used a gun to shoot these people, but this is someone that was so hateful and so racist that even if he didn't have access to a gun, I'm sure that he would have found another way, you know, via a bomb or a homemade explosive. Become a cop. (laughs) Right. Um, And number three, this isn't an attack on Christianity, which is something that Fox News and the right wing have started to uh, spew out there. That is not what this is. This is an attack on black people based on racism, systemic racism. I mean, like, don't be deluded and 
you know, think it's anything else that it's not. Like, that's what it is. Open your eyes and see what it is. Uh, Alyssa, we're wrapping it up now. Did you have any final remarks? My final comment is when the news first broke, the first thing was like, that you heard from the news was like, well, let's not call it racism yet because we don't know yet. Like, okay, we do know. He said racist things. He had photographs of himself with these flags. And, you know, he ran a blog, which didn't come out until like, a, you know, like six hours later. I mean, like it he was. He said he wanted to start a race, race war. war. This is like, not just racism, not it's terrorism. We're not waiting to find out if it was racism. It is racism. But I will, uh, my, my final thought is, yeah, I will, uh, notwithstanding the fact I probably disagree with Nikki Haley, the governor, on like 99% of things. But she actually finally came out and said that it was a hate crime, that they're going to seek the death penalty. And it's going to be it looks like it's going to be prosecuted like a hate crime. So that's positive. If, if we're going to take one positive thing away from this, it will be that, you know, it's terrorism. It's not even a hate crime. It's he he set, spoke about it in a way where he wanted to start you know, there was a political conscious in mind. He wanted to start a race war. This is terrorism. Yeah, I, th- I want to try and be as quick as, with this as possible. Yes, he probably get the death penalty, and yes, we are starting. People are starting to acknowledge that this was a hate crime. But this is not a lone wolf. No, this let's let's be very honest about this, and I'll leave you guys with this thought. And I'll give it to Selena to close. But this is the ideology of millions of people in the world who feel the same exact way. And the only difference is they haven't pulled the trigger, or they don't plan to pull the trigger. But they plan to they plan to pull the trigger in a, one way or another, whether economically, whether socially, whether financially, whether through the government, whether, whether through the school the school to prison pipeline. They are pulling the trigger every single day. Don't think because this guy is going to get a chair or the noose or the or the lethal injection that like he is going to be able to like that that this is justice. This is not justice. We have a disease and this disease has existed for over 400 years and until we stop just sorry trying to try not to curse <laughs> until we stop playing around like this is not a real thing like racism isn't real and be honest about it, we are going to have this problem. There is no way you can acknowledge the Holocaust is horrible and we need to be respective of the, of the Jewish community and culture and that the Japanese internment camps were horrible and we can give them reparations and that, you know, we're starting to understand LGBT issues need to be put to the forefront, but you want to ignore the issues of race and blackness. You can't do it. So Dylan Roof, before we exit out of here, he was self-radicalized. Um, so far there hasn't been any evidence that he belonged to a particular group. But I wanted to make mention of that because every time we see Islamic extremists who are self-radicalized like the Boston Marathon bombers, Mm -hmm. we go to extremes to stop jihad, to stop this type of propaganda from forming. And we do that and we do that all the time. But you know what happens? We still have 19 hate groups in South Carolina today who are allowed to use social media, who are allowed to tweet, who are allowed to hand out pamphlets, even on Long Island, the KKK were handing out pamphlets. Mm-hmm. Why is it that when it comes to white supremacy and these white supremacy groups that spew hate, they're allowed to do that under the First Amendment, but nobody else can? If we want to stop racism in this country, obviously it's going to be a strong feat that won't happen anytime soon, but we can start taking very tangible small steps. And that is number one, removing the Confederate flag because we know what it uh, symbolizes. That's number two. Let's put a, let's put a ban. Let's put a check on all of these racist groups that are allowed to do whatever they want to do. And I think that if we start taking these steps, maybe we can prevent another tragedy like this from happening, but we cannot validate these people by having a Confederate flag and these groups with a Twitter account and all this other stuff. It just it just cannot be. But on that note, 
we have to close. We took up so much of Ash Cash's time. No, no, He's coming good. up next, guys. <laughs> He's sitting here like, hurry up. Okay, guys, we had a great show. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We have to go. And this has been Let Your Voice Be Heard. Where is the bar?